So I'm laying on my back, looking up, getting ready to kiss this ancient rock. And it's not just any rock. This is the Blarney Stone at Blarney Castle. And I'm laying there, and it's said that if you kiss the Blarney Stone, you're given the gift of eloquence. We're going to see how that goes tonight. <laughs> but I'm laying there, and I give it a big kiss, and this old Irish guy sitting next to me makes this big smacking sound. And sitting next to him is my dad, and we're up on top of the castle, and we can look down and see my mom at the bottom of the, of the castle in her wheelchair waiting for us to come back down. And my story tonight's about her. So my mom's name was Colette Carney. People called her Coke, which was short for Coco, which is what her grandfather called her. And um, I discovered early on that we weren't like every other family. A lot of things seemed normal because our childhood seems normal and my mom seemed normal. But we'd go on a lot of trips. We traveled to New York and Disney and New Orleans. And everybody else would seem to be moving really fast. And this is where I discovered that we moved really slow. My mom moved slow, which meant we all moved slow. We go through these cities and everybody else was buzzing by us. And I'm not sure when I discovered what multiple sclerosis meant or when I, that became part of my vocabulary, but it became clear that that's what made us move so slow. Multiple sclerosis, my mom didn't like to talk about it. She just really pretended like she didn't have it. For the longest time, she avoided a wheelchair. Eventually, she was in a wheelchair some of the time, and ultimately, she was in the wheelchair all of the time. And it really didn't mean much to me as growing up until it started to affect my life in little ways. So when I was in middle school in Ames, Iowa, uh, at Welch Junior High School, I was cast as the lead in Finian's Rainbow. And we started rehearsals, and I was super excited about it. And one night, my dad sat me down and said, Pat, uh, your mom may not make it to the show. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, the junior high school isn't particularly accessible for your mom. She was fully wheelchair bound at that point. He said, there's steps. The auditorium isn't really set up for her. So he said, she probably won't make it. And I was crushed because why do you do these shows? I want to do it for her. So we got to the night of the show, and I'm sitting in a chair, and they're spraying silver paint on my hair and drawing little old man makeup on me. And my brother comes and says, you need to come to the front of the, the school. So I followed my brother out there, and most of my memories as a kid are pretty fuzzy, but I have this vivid memory of my mom getting out of her wheelchair and walking super slowly up those steps, my dad taking her to the seat of the auditorium, and her watching that performance. She just wanted to be there to be with me. She wanted to show love by simply being present. Now, multiple sclerosis is a kind of disease that ebbs and flows. There's good days and bad days and good months and bad months. And my mom did everything she could to have as many good days and good months as she could. My dad's theory was that she figured out how to store adrenaline. So when she was resting and when she was having down times, she would store all this adrenaline. And then when we needed her, when we had these big moments, she would let out all of that adrenaline so that she could be present with us. One of those times that she wanted to let the adrenaline was probably what we knew was going to be her last big trip. When I was in my 20s, she decided that we should all go, my, her, my dad, and myself, to Ireland together. Now, if we thought that Welch Junior High School was an obstacle, Ireland was a whole other thing. <laughs> the plane trip itself was going to be a production, and we can only imagine what these small Irish villages and castles were going to be for us. But she was insistent that we go. And so we got to Ireland, and Dublin was pretty good. 
My, and my father's theory on this, by the way, was that drunk Irish people had made it through these cities for hundreds of years. So surely a family of three could survive. So we get to Dublin, and Dublin's pretty easy because it's pretty metropolitan. But we start getting in these small cities and villages, going to these castles. And much like the Blarney Stone, my mom was often left behind. She was stuck on the bottom floor. She was often in the car while my dad and I kind of went off and did these adventures. It wasn't until we got to Bunratty Castle that my mom decided she'd had enough. She was going to engage with Bunratty Castle. If you're at Bunratty Castle, the big event is a madrigal dinner. So we get inside, 100 people in this lobby. We've kind of hauled my mom in there because the wheelchair won't go up any of the steps. We stand there, and there's a, an actor who stands up, and there's loud, terrible trumpets playing. And they say, we're going to go and have drinks and toasts on the third floor. So my dad and I look at each other and just go, well, there's no way. My mother looks at us and says, I'm going on the third floor. <laughs> so my mom being my mom, we went up to the, th we did our best. So everybody else goes upstairs, and this is the point in the story where I should say that my father and I consider ourselves pretty Irish, which means we may enjoy a drink now and then. <laughs> it may also be true that we'd had a couple pints of Guinness before we showed up at the castle. So we go to this ancient stairwell, I stand in front going backwards up the stairs, my mother's in the middle and my father is bringing up the rear, and I mean literally bringing up my mom's rear. <laughs> step by step, we figured out a way to get up these um, stairs. The whole time, we're finding ourselves giggling and laughing. The whole thing seems super ridiculous to us. We get to the top and we fall in a heap at the top of the third floor. Everybody else is enjoying drinks. We stand up, we ask somebody, could we have a pint of the mead? The lady looks at us and says, you're cut off. <laughs> at that exact moment, the guy's more terrible trumpets and the guy looks at us and says, we're gonna go back down to the main floor for dinner. <laughs> we look at each other, it just, we can't believe it. Now here's the thing, you might think going up the steps is hard. Going down the steps is a whole nother thing because of, well, gravity. So we resume our positions where my father is in front of my mother, he's going backwards, she's in the middle, and I'm sort of holding it up so she doesn't tumble on top of him. We build a rhythm, we gradually go down these stairs, fall down in another heap at the bottom of the stairs, and again, everybody's staring at us. We get to our table, it's the fourth course of a five-course meal already, and everybody just thinks we're ridiculous. My mother, though, has this sense of satisfaction on her face after all this because she's doing what tourists do. She's doing what normal people do, and she's so much sharing her love with us by simply being there with us. My mom was with me at all of the important events of my life. She was there at my wedding. She was there at the birth of my son. Uh, and, uh, and she managed to do all this by using up that adrenaline, by building up all of that adrenaline to show energy just to be present with us when we needed her. I can think of times, and, and things got rough for her. Uh, she eventually, her memory got shoddy. Uh, she couldn't hand, her handwriting got terrible, and she loved to write letters. Her speech got garbled, so it was hard to understand her. But we found ways to be together, and simply being in a room together was how we expressed love. I can think of my four-year-old son who ran around crazy on his other grandparents' farm. When he'd come to visit my mom, he would simply sit with her 
and he would engage with her reading a book, and she was so satisfied because she thought that's what grandma should do. So, as time went on, she got sicker and sicker, and in her final days, I was able to tell her I loved her a bunch of times. One of the times we visited, I actually walked by my parents' bedroom and saw my father lifting my mother down into her wheelchair. And it was then that I realized the toll that this illness had taken on both my mom and my dad. He was expressing love by just doing the work that he needed to do because he had vowed to be with her in sickness and in health. And this was sickness. But he did all the things he needed to do to make sure that she could have as normal a life as possible. So time went on, and in her final days, I told her I loved her. She tried to tell me she loved me, but she didn't need to tell me that. She had long since proven that she loved me unconditionally. If you met my mom, you would have thought of her as a kind of shy woman from Fairmont, Minnesota, who had moved to Denver, Colorado to teach first graders. But she was quiet, had a hard time communicating, and yet she was the strongest person I know. So tonight on Valentine's Day, if you have someone who loves you unconditionally, you're very, very lucky. I hope that you're able to love others deeply, because that's a true gift. One of the gifts my parents gave me, I've been married 30 years to a lovely woman, and that 30-year marriage is mostly based on her understanding and her caring. But I also was able to watch my parents model what love is on good days and also on bad days. So today, tonight, on Valentine's Day, love is everywhere. It's in the small things that happen. So look for it everywhere you can find it. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you.